0: You are listening to the Passion City Church D.C. podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Such exciting days in Atlanta these last few days. And I, if you were there, I'm so thrilled you were if you weren't. We'll run it back next year. So come to New York in 2021. It's going to be pretty incredible. But so amazing to be in a room with 65,000 plus 18 to 25 year olds that came from all 50 states, over 1,700 unique campuses and universities, and over 83 different countries, all gathered in the name of Jesus, to worship him and get on his page. It's pretty incredible to think about the impact in cities and countries around the world from a gathering like that. It's pretty staggering. And I'm thinking about it as not just, Lord, might they make an impact? Although I hope they do. They're already making an impact. I don't know if you saw that. We got some claps for it, but if you missed it, that group of college students raised $1.2 million to get the scriptures translated into languages that don't currently have them. So they're already changing the world. And Lord knows what might happen in the future. So it's pretty exciting. And so, welcome to the story of what God's doing, whether you're New Year's was that epic or whether it was pretty lame. I don't know. But you're here right now uh, on a journey with us at Passion. And it's pretty awesome to stand in what God is doing. And, you know, my prayer in those days and really this last month has really, in my heart, been, been out of the word of Jeremiah, the prophet. There's a moment in Jeremiah where the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look for the ancient path and ask where the good way is and walk in that. And you'll find rest for your souls. And I just kept praying that, looking over that room. I'm like, this is a young generation that's standing at the crossroads. What what path are they gonna travel down in 2020 that will define their life? And my hope is, what I believe they were doing is while standing at that crossroads, they were asking the Lord, show us the ancient path. Show us the good way. And we wanna walk in that. In the midst of the complexity and chaos of a present day, show us your path, God, that we might walk in that and find rest for our souls. And that was my prayer for them and that's my prayer for you. As pastor here at this church, if you've been here a long time with us and by long time I mean a year and a half, that's how long we've been here, or if this is your first Sunday, we're so glad you're here, but my prayer for you is that as you're standing at the crossroads of this new year, we've all got our hopes and different techniques You know, we've got our New Year's resolutions, or I want to lose this amount of weight, uh, or I want to gain this amount of weight, or I want to make this career change, or I want to finally write that book, or I want to finally meet that somebody, and we've got a bunch of techniques and plans, which honestly may or may not work out. I don't know, right? So we'll talk more about your goals uh, for New Year's uh, next week. We'll give you a chance to kind of get a running start into January and see how they're working for you. We'll do some talks on shame and forgiveness and things like that. But my hope is that as we're standing at this crossroads, we would ask the Lord, you know what? I don't know what twist and turns this path is bringing, but if I can walk with you, will you show me the good way? Because I promise you, when you walk with him, you're going to find rest for your soul. That's what he's offering. So as we looked at to today, we're going to talk about different things. We can talk about your finance. We can talk about your career. We can talk about all these different places. But as we're doing this, I wanted to start by talking about our relationships, All of us here where you're married or single or want to be married or don't want to be married, wherever we are, we all long to love and be loved. And we've got questions about relationships. How do we navigate them well? And so I want to look for the ancient road. And so by doing that, I want to get perspective on 2020 by looking back at an earlier 20s. And I don't necessarily want to look back at the 1920s. I think a lot of people are doing that. But it's interestingly, in America, in the 1920s, changes in technology and urbanization had brought confusion into courtship and dating in society. Nobody really knew how to meet one another. And I know that's hard to imagine. Changes in technology and urbanization, confusing dating scripts. What do you mean, Ben? (laughs) Just, Just take it by faith. A century ago, that was an issue. So the 1920s has no answer for you. So 1820s, no, I don't want to do that. 1720s, no, I want to roll it all the way back to 2020, B.C. (laughs) Because as far as scholars can tell, and it is difficult to map all this right, but scholars all agree that the text we're about to look at together in Genesis 24, the events in those passages happened in 2020, B.C. So I want to look at the ancient path. I want to roll back to the O.G. 2020, And I want us to see the longest chapter in Genesis charts a course. If we're going to watch the patriarch, Isaac, meet Rebecca. And we're going to see some principles and we're going to see some practices. But what I love about it the most is we're going to see it through a story. So I don't know if you thought we were going to begin the new year with me giving you 20 things you need to do in 2020. I'm not giving you a bunch of things. I'm going to show you a story of how God weaves together young love that will hopefully encourage us as we live out our story. Amen. Sound good? buddy? ready for that? All right. How about you way in the back that can't even see me and I can't see you? You ready for this way back there? All right. All right. Well, Lord, thank you for these few minutes around your word. Help us now as we look at it. Give us a vision of what it would look like in 2020 to walk by faith with you and show us that walk of faith in the story of Abraham and Isaac and Rebecca. And I just want to invite you, if you're willing, take a minute and ask him. Say, Lord, please teach me this morning. And then if you would pray pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Genesis 24 starts by talking about Abraham, the father of faith. And when Genesis 24 begins, he's in a pretty good spot. It says in verse one Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Now, that does not sound like the beginning of a story. That sounds like the end of a story. It sounds like happily ever after. And he was blessed in every way, the end. And you're like, well, what's left? Well, we're gonna see something very serious is left in verse two. It says, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Now we'll talk in a minute about what he made him swear, but I want you to see the author of Genesis is letting you know that the conversation that our father of our faith, Abraham, is about to have is very serious. And he shows us that in three ways, that Abraham doesn't just call a servant, he calls his oldest and most trusted servant, the one who had been there the longest and had proven faithful, was in charge of everything he had. He's like, I want my best guy. And then not only does he call his best guy, he says, I'm gonna make you swear in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That would have tipped off to the servant right away. This is not a normal conversation. You don't make someone swear by the name of God in heaven and earth to pay the light bill. So something's going down here that's significant. And then Abraham says, before I do it, I want you to place your hand under my thigh. Now, commentators all agree that that statement is a euphemism for putting your hand on the reproductive parts of a human being. So welcome to church. That just got weird. What is that about, Ben? Well... One, it's letting you know something very serious is happening here. This is not a normal oath. You don't do this every day. (laughs) What is this about? Why would he make him do that? Well, there's really two things, and they're probably combined. Number one is that it's a symbol of posterity. I'm talking to you about my family that's going to come forth from me. Abraham, we call Father Abraham, because God told him in Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you, and then through your seed, your offspring, all the nations will be blessed. And Abram's here and God's given him a son, Isaac, but God has blessed Abraham, but for Abraham to be a blessing to the world, that's gonna come through his kids. And so Isaac needs to have a kid, but Isaac has no wife. And so here's the problem in the story. Isaac needs to meet somebody so that being blessed by God, they can be a blessing. How many of us are praying right now that God would bless me? How many of us are praying that God through me would bless generations? That's Abraham's concern. God, through my family, you want to bless generations after me. And so that means my son's got to get married. He's got to have a kid. So part of this is about posterity. And that's why he's holding this particular part of it. The other part is when God issued the covenant to Abraham, he had him get circumcised as an image of the covenant. I am binding together with you and I promise you, I'm going to bless you and through your seed, bless the whole world. Which we find out as the story continues, the seed of Abraham is Jesus, right? And so this is also about the covenant. It's the sign of the covenant, which is what I love. The commentator Adam Clark says it this way. He put his hand on the part that bore the mark of circumcision. And you're like, that's just so appropriately spoken, Adam Clark, for a very unique moment. Why am I telling you all this? It's to let you know this is a serious issue. And I want to pause on that for a minute because I want you to note some people in here, we pray to God for big things, but then there's things in our heart we long for that we think are maybe too embarrassing and too small to pray to God about. And some of us, man, we want to pray, God be glorified, your name be lifted up. But the longings of our heart and maybe specifically the longing for romance, I talk to a lot of people who feel ashamed about that. And I need you to see something. The longest chapter in the book of Genesis is about how a man and a woman meet. God cares about your romantic life. God cares about the love of your life. This is a serious issue that God wants you to to enjoy being married. That doesn't mean everybody will, but God values your romantic life. And you need to know that and be comforted by that. He cares about your love life. So much so that in Ephesians 3, Paul calls him the father from whom every family on earth is named. That God delights in bringing forth families. And so this is about family, right? And so who you marry is important. The fact that you want to get married is important. And specifically who. This is the nature of Abraham's covenant here. He makes him swear that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. So the nature of what he makes him swear, this is about my lineage. This is about my son's wife. I want you to go find her, which arranged marriages were common in that day. And so he was asking him to do that. But the one thing he made him swear is, don't take a woman from the Canaanites. Now, what's the deal with that? Is Abraham racist? No, it's not about race. It's about allegiance. Allegiance that Abraham was living among people that did not have an allegiance to God. They didn't worship the same God as Abraham and the outworking of their life had some real brokenness to it. The Canaanites had a very broken sexual ethic and cultures that have a very broken sexual ethic typically result in women and children being exploited. And women lose and men lose. Children lose and then ultimately men lose as well in a dynamic like that. And Abraham, as he lives and loves and ministers among a broken people, says, you know what? My son doesn't need to marry a woman from here. The love of God extends to everybody. But who's in your inner ring, you want it someone who has the same allegiance as you. So he says, go back to the old country and find somebody who still has a remembrance of the worship of God. You wanna marry a person of faith. You want your love to extend to everybody. But when you think about your inner ring, who are the people that define you? You want people around you that will run with you lockstep in the purposes of God. And I want to encourage you, whether it's about dating or not, in this season of your life, your love is meant to extend, Jesus said, even to your enemies. But I want to challenge you. As you think about who I'm going to move through life with, the Bible tells you, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals but we're meant to flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness along with those who call out to God out of a pure heart. You want to get around pure hearted people that want to run with you after the purpose of God. Make your inner ring a ring of faith. You want to marry a man or woman of faith, right? And yet notice just a believer won't do. The servant responds with a question and he says, suppose the woman's not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from where you came? That seems like a reasonable question. The servant is about to go 500 miles back to the old country to meet this girl, right? Which has a sermon within itself. I talk to some people like, well, there's just no good guys around here. There's no good girls around here. Move! I mean, this guy's about to ride 500 miles. And so if you're looking around your social circle and say, man, there's no good people in my social circle, move, get on your camel and ride, like get around a different crew of people, Right? And so he says, hey, and he asks what what seems to be a very reasonable request. What if I go back there and she doesn't want to move 500 miles? Should I tell your son to come back? You know, maybe she's got a good job, right? Maybe she's up for a promotion. She's got some stability with her family. Shouldn't he kind of acquiesce to those purposes in her life? And Abraham responds by saying, beware you take my son back there. He says, don't you dare. Now, what's going on with that? Is Abraham a chauvinist? Well, no, he gives you his reasons. In verse seven, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I'll give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will take a wife for my son from there. Why does Abraham not want the boy to go back? Well, we talked about this over December, that God grabbed Abraham and said, I want you to move to what we notice over time becomes a strategically important strip of real estate. The center of the world, the prophets will call it. Because as God positions his man of faith there and blesses Abraham with seed, Jesus will be born at a time and in a place where the gospel can spread rapidly. God strategically moves Abraham to this particular land. So it's not just a preference for the trees there. It was the calling of faith that led Abraham there. Abraham and Isaac were living on the cutting edge of faith. And so what kind of woman would not go with them? One that was not willing to live by faith. How many of you know it's a big difference between saying I have faith and walking by faith? And frankly, I don't care if somebody says I have a bunch of faith. You wanna watch their life and say, but is it affecting the way they live? He says, I don't, don't just want a girl that says she's a believer. I need a woman who's willing to walk onto the cutting edge of faith. My son and I are living with so much faith in God. We are leaned out so far on him that if God's not real, we will land on our face. But if God is real, the world will see the glory of God in a human life. And my boy needs a girl who's going to walk with that same kind of faith. She's got to be on the cutting edge right with him. They need to run together. You want to be knit together with a man or a woman of faith who is walking by that faith. So I remember I had a friend that decided to run a marathon and he trained with a coworker and they had agreed upon a pace they wanted to finish in. So like, we want to finish by this amount of time. We got to run at this pace, but they didn't live by each other. So they decided to train independently. And so he trained faithfully every day. She did not. She just kind of ate chips and watched TV and stuff like that. So when the day of the race came, he was there, and he was ready to run. Man, we came ready for this race. I'm prepared, and he wanted to run. But as they would run, she would cramp up, be fatigued, but, but then kind of guilt him, so he didn't want to leave her, so they had to stay together. And so he's kind of limping along and pulling her along. And after a while, you go, this was a really frustrating experience because we weren't equipped to run at the same pace. My sister and I ran a marathon, and she was an avid runner, and I didn't want her to beat me. So we trained together every single day and we built up my muscles, built up hers. And so when the day of the race came, we could run lockstep in stride the whole way and not just run in stride, but we were in such good shape. We could run in stride and laugh and joke and talk with each other and enjoy it. And that was fun. And let me tell you something, relationally, you want the same thing. You don't want to bind yourself together with someone that you're having to drag to church drag into the things of faith, drag into being involved in what God's doing in the city. You don't want that. That will be frustrating to you and frustrating to them. It's not fun to drag people and it's really not fun to be dragged. You want someone that says, I've got my eyes on the same prize as you and we are running together in the purposes God has for us. You want someone who's not just a man or a woman of faith, but is walking by that faith, right? Don't settle for less. And I love Abraham's mindset in it the Lord, the God of heaven and earth who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth and who spoke to me and swore to me saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and will take away from my son from there. I love that Abraham has such faith. The servant's like, what if she won't come back? What if she won't ride? What if she doesn't like camels? What if she's not into them? What are we gonna do? And Abraham's like, the God who led me this far will lead us into the next stage. See that? Abraham has the peace that comes from prayer If I trust who God is. If I can trust God with my redemption, I can trust God with my romance. And so he looks and says, you know what? The God who saved me is the same God who can provide a mate for my son. And that's true. And it's funny though, I talk to believers all the time. They were like, I trust God. Trust him with what? Trust him to forgive all my sin, to cleanse me, to adopt me into his family, that when I die and they put my body in the dirt, my soul will rise to be with him and one day he will recreate the whole earth. Wow, that's amazing. But do you trust him with your money? Oh no, I'm not sure he knows what he's talking about. This is 2020, I'll handle money my way. What about with relationships? No, his kind of advice on relationships is a little dated. I better work my own angles. So you trust him with your eternal soul, but you don't trust him with tomorrow or February. Hey, the same God who's in charge of my redemption, you can trust with your romance. If I can trust him with my soul, I can trust him with a spouse. And Abraham says, I trust him. Let me be a man of faith. I trust God. But then look at his perspective in verse eight. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, you will be free from this, my oath. Only do not take my son back from there. He says, God's going to provide for us. I'm not worried about it. And if he doesn't provide, then don't worry about it. Just don't let my son back up in faith. I would rather him be single than settle. Isn't that great? That's the same for you too. My son's got to walk by faith. And if he can't meet a girl that's willing to do that, it's better to be single than to settle. And I had a mentor say it once and I never forgot it. He said, the loneliness of singleness is not assuaged by the loneliness of laying in a king-sized bed next to someone who cannot speak with you about the deepest issues in life. You wait to meet someone that loves the same God and not just has a general interest in spirituality, but the two of you have a commitment to God the Father who sent God the Son to live a perfect life and die on a cross from you, get buried, raised from the dead so he could send forth God the Spirit to fill you and change you that the two of you could walk into the purpose God has prepared for you to walk into. You want that kind of relationship (laughs) that we're running together and I'm gonna wait for that one and I will not settle. I'd rather be single than settle. That's Abraham's command. And so in verse nine, the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master and swore to him concerning this matter. And the servant took 10 camels from the camels of his master, set out with a variety of good things of his master in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So now we got the general principles. You want to be a person of faith. You want to be knit together with people walking by faith, right? And you don't want to settle for any less. Now we're going to watch the servant begin to do that. He and camels walking through the desert. How is this going to work? Tons of mystery. But now we're going to watch not just some general principles. We're going to look at some practicals. And the first thing is, if you note, you got to go to the right place. It says, the servant went to the city of Nahor. Nahor is not the name of a city. Nahor is the name of Abraham's brother. And that makes sense. If I got to find a relative of Abraham, let me go to his relative's house. That's pretty logical, right? If you want to find somebody, go to their house. if you want to find somebody's kids, go to their house. I want to find a child of Abraham. Okay. Go to the child of Abraham's house. Yeah, that makes sense. Right? It's the same spiritually. I want to marry a son of God. I want to marry a daughter of God. I want to marry a child of God. Then go to God's house. That doesn't sound too crazy, does it? You know, I meet people all the time. They're like, man, I want to meet somebody that really has a spiritual component to their life. Uh, well, then go to church. That's where they're at. It's where a high concentration of them are. <laughs> You're upping your percentages. And, you know, I talk to people all the time. There's like, there's no good men around here. There's no good men. There's no good men in the world. And it makes me crazy because... I, I lead and mentor a small group of men that I know are walking by faith and making a difference in the name of Jesus. And so I was on a podcast the other day and a lady said that. What do you say to, the number one question I get is, where are all the good men? where do they all go? And I'm like, man, I sit around with a circle of lion faced men right. who are walking with Jesus and are inspiring to me. I'm like, they, they're out, don't say they're not out there. So if you can't find them, you just might be looking in the wrong house. Like, I don't know, like, it's like someone saying, I'm looking for kangaroos and going to Wyoming. And being like, there's, there's no kangaroos here. There's no such thing as kangaroos. You're like, No, there's kangaroos. You're just in the wrong state. On the wrong continent. You got to move if you want to move where the kangaroos are, right? And I'll talk to people that, I remember speaking at a church in Texas where all these people were together in this church, wonderful people s- seeking the Lord. And, and the majority of them, we did a survey, we're, we're trying to meet somebody uh, online uh, for their romantic relationships. And I'm not gonna knock online dating. I have people that have met the person they love and have great marriages from online dating. But, but I look at them and I'm like, man, just think for a second, like if you're looking for a son of God, a daughter of God, someone really walking with God, is everyone in this room that kind of person? No. Is everyone in this room ready for a relationship? No, there's a lot of knuckleheads in this room. Let's just go ahead and say that but look at your percentages. Maybe nine out of 10 single guys in this room are a mess. That still gives you one out of 10 that are pretty solid. <laughs> What's your percentage on Tinder? It's like one in a thousand. Like you've significantly diluted the pool. I'm just, I'm just inviting you to play the percentages, okay? So go to church, that's, that's the point. <laughs> Whether you want to get married or not, or want to date someone or not, you want to be in a circle of people who are running by faith, right? Your practical tips on how to survive the new year may or may not come unraveled by Monday, but God doesn't unravel. And your path into the future might veer into the woods, but if you can walk with the author and perfecter of our faith, you can have peace no matter where you are in the path. I want you to walk with him. And as you walk with him, you'll walk with his people. You want to be where they are. And if you want to marry someone that's running like that, you got to go where they are. If you want to meet a kid, go to their father's house. So that's where you want to be. So I want to encourage you, make it a priority this year. I'm going to pursue the things of God. I'm going to be in church. So he shows up. In verse 11, it says, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. See, this guy's smart. That's tip number two. Go where the women are. (laughs) Bam. But notice what kind of women. The women who are working. That's the kind of woman you want to marry. what's the kind of guy you want to marry too, but you want to marry someone who's working. And this is important. All through the Bible, godly women are women who aren't afraid to work. You see that Moses' wife was a shepherdess. You see that uh, the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, she worked in a vineyard. That Ruth was gleaning in the fields and that... Proverbs 31 woman, dang, she is like buying and selling real estate. She's got like a textile business. She's making moves, folks. And you see in Proverbs 31, 17, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. You want a woman like that that says, I'm not waiting in life. I'm moving forward and advancing using the gifts God's given me. You want to be around someone like that. When I was single, I remember praying, I don't want to meet my wife at like a single's mixer and I'm not against singles mixers, but I, but I was praying like, Lord, I want to find her on the mission field. I want to be out there working and I want to find her working. I want to be running and meet her running. And so I remember I was speaking at a Christian event and then saw Donna, her band was leading worship. And as I learned more about her, she was discipling young women and leading a Bible study and, and doing different missionary endeavors. And I looked and I was like, that's the kind of woman I want to be with. One that, that I'm not dragging along, but I'm trying to keep pace with. And you want to marry somebody that's working. You want an industrious person. And industrious just generally in life, don't marry somebody lazy, right? They'll frustrate you to no end when someone's got to pay the bills or clean the house. You just don't want to marry a lazy person. But then also, you want to find workers that are working. And so if you want to marry a worker, go where they're working. And so I want to encourage you, get involved and keep coming here on Sundays. And, I, and I'm meeting more and more people that are just attending here on Sundays. And I think that's awesome because we're all in different places in our journey of faith. And some of you are like, man, I don't know what I think about all this. Or maybe I've had some hurts in my past. Or I'm trying to heal up. I'm not ready to like serve, serve, serve. I need to heal, heal, heal. And this is a place for you. But if you've been here for several months, I want to in- invite you, Get involved. Start to step into the work. I, I tell people all the time when I stand out front, I was like, you know, Sundays are pretty great here, but you know where all the action is? Is when you work alongside these people. Become what we call a door holder, someone who serves in the church. And I can see people usually like not believe me. They think I'm just trying to like say something to get some free labor out of them. They're like, well, we'll see. Like, I don't really know you. Don't tell me what to do. You don't know me. And I'm like, I'm just saying, I've watched people decide to serve together. And is there around other people that are working? Want to make a difference here? Like on the stage, you know, people who are leading worship today are like, are lawyers and working in the tech field and a cop. And, you know, it's it's not like, this isn't their jobs. These are people in the city. They're like, I'm going to make a difference. You start serving alongside people like that, start ministering alongside people like that, you build relationships. And I've watched over this last year and a half, them, um, become roommates and become best friends and prayer partners. And and that's a great mix you want to be in of like, I want to be a part of a a community that's moving. And so if you want someone that's a worker, you got to work alongside the workers, right? Uh, That's where you want to be. I want to move with the movers if I want to marry someone moving. And so he goes to the well because that's where the right women are at. But then notice what he does when he gets there. Verse 12, he says, Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. I love that. That's your next tip. He immediately invites God into the process. Lord, before I start making moves, I wanna meet with the maker. And I wanna encourage you as you enter 2020, whether you're into dating or not, make that your prayer. Before I start trying to make all my moves, I want to meet with the maker because all my stuff may not work out, but your plans never fail. And I remember I had a mentor tell me long ago, he said, when I wake up every morning, I pray, then I plan, then I proceed. And I was like, okay. But then as I got into my work life and ministry, I started to realize when I wake up, that kind of heartbeat fast of I've got to proceed, I've got to work, 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 I've got to go, 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 hits me as soon as I wake up in the morning. But I'm not usually efficient in that, in that mind state and, and I'm not usually... Doing the right things or doing things the right way. And so I've developed over time the discipline of saying, when I start in the morning, I'm going to begin in prayer. Offering up to the Lord the things I'm concerned about. Offering up to him what I'm dealing with. Why? Because when I cast my cares on him, the peace that surpasses understanding guards my heart. That's what Philippians promises us. And as his peace guards my heart, I'm able to plan more efficiently and proceed in more valuable activities. And I wanna encourage you, make prayer a priority in 2020, that I'm gonna to come to the Lord because unless the Lord builds this house, we labor in vain who build it. And I don't want any of my work to be in vain. So he comes in and says, Lord, before I start making moves here at this well, I want to consecrate this moment to you. You're a God who loves us. I'm asking for your love to show up in this moment. And he invites the Lord into the process. I do that all the time. Incidentally, when I stand out there, if you're ever wondering what's in my mind while I'm talking to people, I always pray when I enter a conversation, Lord, be honored in this conversation. Help me care about this person as much as you care about them. Help me say things that are wise and helpful. I'm always praying when I enter into moments. I'm trying to develop that discipline. And I would encourage you to do the same. And I want to challenge the older people in the room, too. I want you to notice, this isn't Isaac praying that God will hook him up with a wife. This is the old servant praying for Isaac and Rebecca, okay? So I know we're talking about dating here and and relationships, and some of us in this room might be in the older set, and we go, oh, I don't know if this is church for me, this is a young people church. Let me tell you something. Maybe you're here to pray for this young generation, Maybe you're here to intercede for them in the midst of a confusing and chaotic day that God would bring them clarity and peace. Maybe you can be part of the solution. And sometimes the older generation throughout society, when we watch a young generation struggle, we tend to fold our arms and be like, kids today. Back in my day, we used to do everything right, nothing wrong. You know, and you're like, really? Uh." And we can get bitter and cynical, or we can get prayerful and supportive. And I want to be like this guy praying for the young generation that God would bless them as they enter into the complicated uh, relational dynamics of this world. So he comes to Him in prayer, and you're meant to do the same. I had a friend who was a bird photographer, and it was something on the side, but then he got really good at it. He would like build these hides and kind of set up these areas that would attract certain birds and take photos of them, and it was landing in birding magazines you've probably read. It was very exciting. But as he became a, a person of faith, he was out there one day and he was trying to set up this, this situation where this very particular bird would land and he would get this photo and he's sitting in this hide quietly for hours. He's like, there's no bird. And so he felt this tug in his heart. Ask me, pray for this bird. He's like, I'm not gonna pray for a bird. Like, it just felt too small, like... God's a God of the universe, God of history. I'm not going to come to him and be like, can, I have a, can, I, can you bring a warbler? Like, I, you know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And he just thought, no, that's kind of stupid and like didn't want to pray that. But then as he's laying there with nothing but time, he just kind of feels like, ask me for it, ask me for it. And so finally he was like, Lord, this is, you've got so many bigger things happening in the world, but I would really love this particular bird to show up. Right then this bird just lands on this branch. And so he's like snapping pictures of it crying. Just like, God, God cares. Does that mean you'll get everything you want just how you want it? No. No good parent does that. But he delights to hear the voice of his kids. And he wants you to ask. And I love that the servant's like, man, I'm at this well and I don't know what I'm doing. God, will you show up? God delights in that. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. So notice the substance of his prayer in verse 13. He says, behold, I'm standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink. And who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Now, I can't affirm that it'll work out this way. Lord, let the person I am sitting next to at Passion City Church this morning be the person I am meant to walk with until death do us part. (laughs) Behold the loving kindness of God. I don't know, man. I don't know if that's gonna work for you. But what I can point out that's good for us is notice the kind of woman he prays for. The kind that when he asked for help would not just help him, but would go above and beyond in caring for his needs. He's asking for a gracious woman. Now notice again, this isn't Isaac there. This is an old man. So it's not like she sees some hot guy and's like, ooh, here's some water. All right, that's not how it works. This is an old dude with a bunch of camels. And if she'll help me and help these camels, she doesn't even know what's, what's waiting for. He's looking for a gracious woman. And Proverbs 11 says it, a gracious woman attains honor, right? That's the kind of woman you want to be. When I waited tables in college, uh, There's a lot of single people that worked there, a lot of cute girls, guys, whatever. But there was one particular girl, every single guy asked out. And by every single guy, I mean every single guy. Like it got to the point where some of us were like, had to be her bouncer, like, hey man, she don't know you. Yeah, you know, but, but here's the thing. She was cute, but she wasn't physically the cutest one there. Which I know is like a horrible thing to say, but I'm just trying to be honest with you guys. That's my commitment to you. And it's very cute, but it's not physically the cutest one. But... She was so kind and gracious. And when she asked you how your day was, you were like, I think she actually wants to know. And she would ask you again about it later. And she would not only ask you again about it, she would have prayed about it and like written down verses she was praying for you. And you're like, what? And she brought everyone peaches from her family's orchard, which was a little random, but very sincere and personal. And uh, she was just so kind you would watch it confuse these guys. Even guys that had no allegiance to Jesus were just drawn to her and be like, I don't know what it is, but I love you. And just, it was confusing to them. But it's a biblical principle, right? That a gracious person attains honor. And it's the same with men. Proverbs 19 says, uh, what is desirable in a man is his kindness. A lot of people think kindness and generosity are weak things in this culture. They're not. They might actually open a doorway. We had a friend years ago that, Uh, She did what maybe a lot of people uh, you did in this city, wanted to make a difference in the world. So she loaded up her little four-door car with all her possessions and drove to D.C. to change the world and showed up here. And they were like, good, change the world, intern, and by answering these phones. And she's like, okay, call you back. And so she was doing that. And she was working this job and saw this older man come in with like a group of people. And you could tell he was confused and lost and a little stressed. And that's not her job or her problem. But she just saw this guy. And so she got up and was like, can I help you with something? He was like, well, someone was supposed to meet us here. I'm supposed to show these people into this deal. And she was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to make a call real quick. Y'all wait right here. I'm going to call these people and we'll take care of that. And she called them, couldn't get anybody. And she goes, you know what? I'll do it. What do you need? All right. And she didn't just point them like, good luck. Maybe try that. She kind of walked them into the area they needed to be in, helped these people get from A to B and just kind of served them, having no idea that the guy she was serving was several levels above her in the city. And not a week later, she's getting security clearances and making moves for the sake of America. And really in this position of authority, why? Because it started by being gracious. Graciousness attains honor. And you have no idea. She has no idea that there's an Abraham and an Isaac right behind them camels. But before he had finished speaking, verse 15, behold, Rebecca. Now, I know some of you hear that. You go, okay, he prays for a girl, and before the prayer is even done, behold, Rebecca. You're like, ah, whatever, you're so fake, Bible. <laughs> Let me say this. Isaac at this time is 40 years old, okay? So, yes, it happened immediately in this moment after four decades, okay? So God's timing is perfect. May not be yours, but his is perfect. You just gotta wait for your pitch and then swing hard. So here it is, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin, no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Now it says she's a child in Nahor. Uh, this guy does not know that. All he sees is a woman with a jar. He doesn't know what's going on, but they let us know to kind of let us know God's working out this plan. And then it says, she's beautiful, which was not in the prayer. It was just a bonus. And then it says, she was a virgin. No man had laid with her. And it mentions that, why? Because it's championing sexual purity, which the Bible does all through it. Now, 1 Thessalonians says that. It says, let's abstain from sexual immorality so that no one defraud his brother, so that I don't take from you something that doesn't belong to me. And so the Bible champions sexual purity for the sake of relationships. If, if you're not ultimately going to be my wife, then I don't need to be in that marriage bed, either in person or in memory. If some other guy is going to be your husband in that bed, I'm going to stay away from that, right? Now I say that, and, and all of us in our culture feel that. I mean, I mean romance is jealous and possessive by its nature. I mean, you hear it in secular love songs that have no religious allegiance when they feel betrayed. Someone I love is with someone else. There's a deep wounding from that. Love has a possessive quality that can be unhealthy or or it can be appropriate. And so the Bible champions purity for the sake of our marriage relationships. And it's meant to champion that. And there's a lot of reasons too, and we don't get into all that. But I want to point out something that's particular in this situation. The Bible does champion that, but I want you to notice It wasn't a requirement of Abraham's and it was not a requirement of the servants because it is not a requirement of God's. God doesn't do that. Why? Because look at the genealogy of Abraham when it shows up at the beginning of the Gospels and you see Abraham's line lead all the way to Jesus. You know the genealogy is the part you never read at the beginning of the Gospels? You look through those names And it is filled with people whose sexual experience was not pristine. Judah, who went to prostitutes, right? David, who committed adultery. Rahab, who was a prostitute. Bathsheba. You see people whose sexual lives did not fall in line with God's best. And yet God delights to not just forgive, but to redeem, restore, and let them be a part of the main narrative of his story. They're the the fathers and mothers of Jesus, right? And it's the same with us. The church is called the bride of Christ. Jesus' bride did not come to the altar pure. None of us are. Jesus married a bride who went down many wayward paths and he loves us still and he delights to forgive and to restore and to cleanse and to run with us. And so the Bible champions sexual purity for our good, not to oppress us. And there's more we could say about that. We don't have time today. But it is not a prerequisite for you to have a beautiful, loving, powerful marriage in Jesus' name. So I talk to so many people that as they approach marriage, they feel ashamed over choices they wish they hadn't made in the past. And let me tell you something, you're not meant to live in that shame. God delights to forgive, to restore, to bless. You are never too far gone. You are never too far to get into the middle of God's best. You believe in for that. And you may have to look into somebody's face. I've counseled so many couples that have walked into that pain and I say, hey, you may need to look at that person and say, hey, I made a lot of decisions in my younger years I'm not proud of. But when I started walking with the Lord seriously, it changed some things in my life, in my perspective, in my decisions, about my finances, about my career, and about my body. And I changed it to honor him and to honor you. And that would be a good thing to say. And so we're meant to pursue it, but it's not a prerequisite. Do you see it? And yet this servant comes up, and all he knows at this point is it's a hot girl carrying a water jug. Which, look, sometimes that's all you get. So is that... A bad way to start the conversation? No, you just gotta, it's gotta start somewhere. So he's like, she seems nice. And so in verse 17, the servant ran to meet her and he delivers his line. Please let me drink a little water from your jar. Now watch her response. She says, drink, my Lord. She addresses him with respectful uh, title. She's respectful to an old man. That's very sweet. And she quickly lowers her jar to her hand and gives him a drink. Not only does she serve him, she doesn't serve him begrudgingly like, whatever, dad. Right? She's, uh, she's quick to serve him. And now when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will also draw for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw water and she drew for all of the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. That's the other tip. You just want to watch and learn. It's looking good so far. She's hot. She got a water jug. I asked for a drink. Bam. And then she's like, let me give some water to your camels. He's like, okay. But then he just watches, just slow it down a beat. Let me see what I'm dealing with here. Let me see if she loses heart at camel number four. Let me see if she quits by five. Like how many camels you got? Let's just watch her. And that's what you wanna do, watch, watch and learn. I remember when I was in college, I walked into the lunchroom as I saw a girl, friend of mine, it was a very attractive girl, getting hit on by this guy. And I didn't hear the whole substance of their conversation, but it looked a little tense. And I remember when I walked in, I heard him say the statement, well, how are you gonna get to know me if you don't go out with me? And I heard her say, I'm sorry, it's not gonna happen. And then he walked off. And I remember in that moment, two thoughts came to my mind. One, were all the girlfriends I had talked to that had gone on dates with guys because they felt pressured and then arrived in a moment with that guy where not only did they not like him, they didn't feel safe. And I had a lot of girls I care about tell me some scary stories. And then I also thought about the fact that my sister was about to be a freshman in college and I wanted her to have the resolve, this girl did, to shut that fool down. And so I walked right up to her and was like, Jedi master, teach me your ways for I have a young (laughs) sister who must know them. And I was like, how did you do that? And she said, you know what? The Christian community on this campus is pretty small. And she said, I have never seen that guy worshiping, serving reading the Bible, caring about anybody. I've never seen him doing anything. I watch people of faith do every single day. So he's not getting a shot with me. And so she says, I'm gonna watch first. And that's a good good tip. And so I passed that along to my sister and she watched and then married a very wonderful man. And I take all the credit for that decision. (laughs) So he watches her, camel eight, camel nine, camel 10, verse 22. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel. Can you believe it? And two bracelets for her wrist weighing 10 shekels in gold and said, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she says to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore... To Nahor. And again, she said, We have plenty of both strong feet and room to lodge in. And the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord, which probably freaked her out a little bit. But then he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. And as for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. He's like, This is unbelievable. I just started walking, having no idea, walking by faith. And God didn't just bring me to the right person, He brought me to the right person of the family, serving graciously, happens to be hot right here. This is amazing. And that's the kind of experience you want. You want to be knit together with somebody that the fact that you get to be with them makes you drop to your knees and worship the Lord. That's what you want. Don't settle for less than that. Right? And that doesn't mean you need to feel unworthy of them, but you want to walk by faith so that when God takes your journey of faith, and a community of faiths and begins to weave it together. And then you and one person begin to pair off as God designs. That is worthy of worship. And you want an experience like that. Then the girl ran and told her mother about these things like you do. Now we'll skip about 30 verses here because the servant shows up at the house and tells this entire story all over again for 30 more verses. You're like, why does the Bible do that? Strange book because god likes to spike the ball that's why cuz god's like i am faithful to fulfill my promises and in case you missed it the first time watch it in the replay oh, oh, camel, she did it. tells the whole story again then it turns out that her uncle and her family are kind of swindlers and they're trying to take advantage of this guy and want him to stick around so they can pilfer all these 10 shekels worth of gold this guy's carrying around. And you realize there begins to be some conflict. Servant's like, I gotta go. They're like, why don't you stay? And he's like, no, I gotta go. And they start to get some tension until finally they say, well, you know what? This is Rebecca's decision anyway. So they pull her in and then the big question of the text comes. They look at her and they say, Rebecca, will you go with this man? What's your choice? Will you walk by faith in the story God's writing or no? And she says, I will go. Thus they sent away their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. And in verse 61, then Rebecca and her young woman rose and rode on the camels and followed that man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. I love the way the author tells that story. Isaac is out in the fields, meditating, sun glistening on his brow. Behold, camels, they're coming. And Rebecca lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from that camel. And said to the servant, who is that man walking in the fields to meet us? And the servant says, it's my master. And she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Beauty in the story was a threat of pain too because that's life. But it's a story of faith, and that's really the story we want us all to live anyway. And it's a true story. This is what God did to move that scarlet cord through history that would culminate in the arrival of Jesus and then break out into all who put their faith in him. But it's also a picture of our story, or it could be, that God in his mercy sends out servants, guys like me, to show up in places like this and to let you know there is a master and that master has a son and that son has all the riches of his father at his disposal and that son has a covenant on his life where he will bless the whole world and the question before you is will you trust him and will you walk by faith with the son of the master blessed by him, taking his name, walking with him into the future God has for us, because that's our story. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect life you and I could not, died our death on the cross, buried our shame in the dirt and rose and God said, all my authority is on that man. The authority of the father goes to the son and the son sends out into the world, any who would come to be a part of the bride of Christ, the church, the family of God, his faith, need only believe the messenger as we proclaim, there is a son and he loves you. And he is crossed from heaven to earth to meet with you that you put your faith in him. And you may not know all the particularities of the journey, but you'll know the one writing the story. And so my biggest hope for you in 2020 is not that you would perfect your technique, but you would get on board with your maker. Walk with him into the future he's designing. His plans are better, his purposes are good, and he crossed heaven and earth to unite you with his son. Will you trust him? That's the relationship we need more than any other. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.